Welcome to Connect This, another episode without Rye. So uh, be prepared for some bumps along the way. Um, I say that I'm literally thinking to myself, wait a minute, do I have the right mic even set up right here? Because this has happened before. Is Chris talking? <laughs> <laughs> you don't hear him either, huh? Oh, <laughs> Boy, Rye, come back. <laughs> our our one listener is going to be like very confused right now. Do you, remember the day we, do you remember the day we lost him for a good 10, 15 minutes? And we had a good time that day. Yeah. Wasn't that, that sort of the situation of, uh, did you lose him? Did you miss him? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Uh, we've got a fun show talking about several subjects, including, uh, you know, I like to kick off with how my internet connection is doing. So we'll, we'll touch on that out from the top. But let me introduce uh, Kimberly McKinley, Utopia Fiber. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's cold here in Utah. So whoever has hot weather, I'm really still jealous of you. So, but I'm glad to be here. We got sunny weather. It's sunny and chilly and I love it. Uh, we've also got Travis Carter, who's sharing my weather over there in Minneapolis. How are things with UC Fiber? Well, we are doing well, I guess. Kim, what do you define as cold, though? I mean, it's like 50 right now. Okay. Sim similar to us. This is nice change, though. It all happened in one day. Yeah. 90 yep. and sunny to cold. <laughs> we have... Uh... We have an enthusiastic uh, person. I'm going to guess that this is Ruben once again with his account not being connected. But uh, if it's someone else, maybe they'll identify themselves later. Uh, someone doing the wave. Um, we also have Doug Dawson from CCG Consulting. Welcome, Doug. Thank you. I'm at a crossroads today. I'm just looking here. My beard has reached crazy proportions, and now I have to decide. Trim it up or go for it for Christmas. Go. What do you think? Go, go. for it. Go. Yeah, I mean, uh, none of us are going to give you a good answer for your personal life. Or... <laughs> <laughs> we uh, are going to talk about several different topics today. Uh, some of them familiar, some of them a bit different. Uh, we have a special guest. Uh, Matt Larson is coming back. Uh, he uh, told me a while ago about, about a cool portable tower that he developed that could be really cool for um, wisps in certain circumstances. And I've been wanting to uh, have a place to share it where then I can send other people to learn more about what he's doing there. We'll talk about that. Um, Google uh, has suggested a number of changes that I think are interesting for us to discuss around uh, 811 call centers and uh, streamlining permitting and things like that. Uh, so we are going to talk about that. Um, uh, talk about whether or not money associated with NTIA is just unnecessarily overwhelming or just overwhelming. Uh, so I'm hoping Doug will have some thoughts about that because I don't think any of the rest of us have any real experience with it. Um, Syracuse seems to be doing something interesting, except I don't really know what the technology is. I don't know if any of us do, but I thought we might talk about that, what they're doing with some of the... Uh, low-income connections, trying to help people out with ACP. And um, we'll talk about some other things that pop up along the way, including answering a question about a specific segment on Travis's network that he's talked about before regarding a Cyclu link. So uh, I, I am seeing that I have a low bandwidth warning from the thing right here, which is a little bit aggravating uh, because what I was going to talk about first is that I am now on a... 
Comcast connection that has 200 megabit upstream advertised and it's consistently delivering 250 megabit upstream when I'm testing it out, which is remarkable. Uh, I had reached out to Doug originally to be like, what is this thing? And uh, Comcast was like, hey, if you get off that cool you know, modem that you own and you lease a modem from us, that's cooler. We will give you 200 megabit upstream and we'll also get rid of your bandwidth cap if you just pay more per month. And I was like, all right, while I wait for fiber from Lumen, I'm going to give it a go. And I've been pretty impressed with the testing so far, but apparently Comcast now has multi-hundred megabit uploads. They do, except apparently it only works when you don't need it. So on this show, you have to limit it down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, I assume that there's a bigger issue actually with some of their peering because, um, you know, I was just doing more things and I, I don't always pay attention, but I do significant uploads and downloads to Dropbox. Uh, I do, I move big video files around. I have other things that I do. Um, and I keep an eye on it and I have never seen a connection on Comcast that exceeds hundred megabits to Dropbox. And I know that Dropbox is, um, uh, at least my understanding is Dropbox is, uh, trying to let people use their connections all out. Like, I mean, I think if I'm on a Google fiber connection, I'd be getting, you know, 900 megabits a second to Dropbox. So, uh, there is something going on with, with Comcast and how they actually allow you to use it. Doug, is that a mid split? That is a mid split. So they came in and and they assigned a whole lot more of their channels to uh, to the upload direction, uh, and in doing so, um, they actually had to put a whole new bunch of stuff in their central office core. And so they didn't really hurt their download in doing that. So they they're just using a bunch of more XTV channels that they can now assign to, to broadband. So it's kind of nice. Uh, if they want to go to the next step, they're going to have to up the entire bandwidth of the entire network. But, they were able to squeeze. Some markets are getting 200, some are getting 100, some are getting 300. It depends it on was how, much, how much capacity. Yeah, it was interesting have. last night here that I think they were trying to do an upgrade on their whole system here. Um, and Comcast, uh, it didn't go so well. So they had a major outage probably because that upgrade or maintenance window. And I was like, oh, that sucks for them because we've all been there, right? Um, you're upgrading the network, but what... Um, what can go wrong in those situations where you might lose customers when you're actually trying to improve their experience? Yeah, I had a friend who just went through the bits put upgrade. The whole town went down for a day and a half. So yeah, absolutely. So. Wow. I um yeah, I got an email, I think, at one point. I don't know if this was right before it. I mean, I don't know if it had been available before then. I didn't notice it, but they did tell me that there was going to be some work that was done at 1230 a.m., uh, you know, a week or two ago, a couple weeks ago. So uh, that would could have been right around the time where they were polishing it off, or maybe there's something else going on. Who knows? But anyway, I thought it was interesting. I was not expecting to get, um, you know, 200 megabit per second uploads from Comcast, and uh, uh, I thought it was pretty cool. They say 60% of their customers now have that. I always available to them. I think so. I mean, yeah, I'm on the I'm paying yeah. 120 bucks a month on the gigabit plus plan. Um, I have not seen. It's supposed to be 1,200 megabits down. I've not exceeded 900 some megabits in a test to date, and I really don't care. Like <laughs> for me, it was more about the upstream. Uh, Travis, so, your hand was up. So, <laughs> I, how many years have you been doing this broadband stuff, Chris? No, uh, 16. I, I always like it when you're surprised. Like I'm getting a low bandwidth warning 
on Zoom, but I have 200 megabit uploads. Hmm. <laughs> Do we think that maybe speed tests aren't the most valid tests out there? Hmm. Um, I'm just saying. Second most valid. Second most. I'm, no. no, you're right. No, I mean, this, a good point. this is my point here. If you lower the expectations, see, Chris's expectations were so low that he yeah. was surprised. It's similar to like my dating life. Set your expectation <laughs> low. And then when it comes in yeah. higher, you're happily surprised. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then, my, um, my whole life, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah. So, yeah. No, well, look at how excited he was. I'm getting 200 megabit. I'm like, you know, on a fiber network, you'd be ashamed to give that much. So. Yeah, but Travis, are you getting 200 megabit on your Comcast connection? Uh, no, 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 no. But even if I was getting 200 megabit, I wouldn't try to kid myself and say that it was actually 200 megabit. It's 200 megabit to their local speed test server. So I will do a test later and I'll see if I can get 200 megabit on a drop on a Dropbox upload because I got some stuff I got to send up soon anyway. Okay. And, um, and that's the, and that's the real test. Can you sustain it for three or four minutes? Is yep. the yep. test. Yeah. Um, I will say that when I was paying for 40 megabit uploads, they were delivering, you know, I was regularly getting 38, 39 on uh, the Dropbox, like uh, uh, instant picture, you know, for minutes at a time. Um, and then Juan asked if that was a promo price. No, that's my regular price. Um, I'm beyond promos, although I am Diamond Elite on Comcast. They did they have this rewards thing. I've been with them for a long time. Um, so I'm a little bit sorry to be leaving that behind whenever Lumen finishes the fiber in my neighborhood. So, um, um, you know, looking forward to that. So you like gold stars. You like those little rewards. Nice. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I'll pay to overlap on the two, and I'll be curious yeah. to see, um, you know, I'd like to compare them. I've heard from other people, and this is, you know, this is something that I think many people have talked about, but like the in-home experience for a lot of folks is quite different. Uh, I was talking to a person in the Seattle area and they switched from Comcast to a, um, to Lumen fiber. And they found that their experience in the home got worse. I think because they had a worse wireless router and they didn't have that. Uh, the, I think is Comcast still using plume. Um, is that what it is? But um, whatever it is, um, the, um, you know, the, the actual experience, they had a higher quality connection supposedly, but their experience really diminished because they didn't have the Comcast product anymore that had been, uh, they'd been relying on. They could go buy a better wireless router. Yeah. You know, that's just the hardware deficiency. So I have not logged in. I, so like I have, um, I set up Comcast and I have one, uh, thing on it. So I just took, I already, I already have like a wired, like high quality, um, wired router. And then that goes into a dedicated Wi-Fi device from uh, ubiquity. And, uh, I've, I have not used the Comcast wireless at all. I just kept my old setup the same. Go ahead, Kim. Okay. So Tom, who put something in the chat, he said, you're diamond elite, which we didn't really focus on, but what does Diamond Elite really get you from Comcast? They have like rewards. Kind of things? They have like some sort of rewards that I've yet, I think I've got one thing from it. Like I haven't seen anything I'm interested in. Um, to me, it seems like something they're still trying to figure out how to make it useful. I I don't know. Okay. Just wondering what that, that really gets you. Like buy something? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay. There's some, some sort of rewards. So, uh, you know, I it's not captured me yet. So... Um, uh, anyway, we, uh, one, one thing I want to talk about before we bring on Matt Larson is the, uh, fraud in the system. Um, <laughs> so I got a note here. I'm eligible for a free check bag or seat upgrade on Comcast. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, <laughs> they're, 
your diamond elite on your ISP. That's hilarious. It's, it's something like that. They use different terms, but it was pretty similar. Um, your file's so, gonna up. Your file's gonna upload earlier than Travis's file. No, two, two things I'm thinking of. God, I wish I could charge 120 dollars, and you have a frequent flyer program. I mean, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I put a link in the chat for folks who are wanted to see the story. But Light Reading had a big story about non-compliant ISPs and the future of ACP, the Affordable Connectivity Plan was talking about uh, how a number of perhaps unscrupulous or perhaps people who aren't paying attention to the paperwork, ISPs are not de-enrolling people who, who um, finish the service and the amount of fraud in the program. And it just it struck me reading it that um, it is remarkable to me how many, I don't know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are getting ripped off by people in the streets. And we don't see like a whole lot of, uh, of repercussions for that where um, people like they have a good service at home and then they get some free phone thrown at them as they're walking down the sidewalk and suddenly they're unenrolled from that. That doesn't launch massive investigations, but you know, there's things that actually uh, cost the money. And it's just a reminder that when it comes down to what matters, um, these programs are um, going to be governed based on whether they are uh, leaking money or not, um, but not based on whether they're actually working or not, as best I can tell. So that was my reaction to the story. Well, there's, an easy, there's an easy fix to this. Stop giving the money to cellular carriers. This is supposed to be a plan to get broadband into people's homes. And so just cut them all off. And if a landline broadband guy does that, he's cut off all federal connections for 10 years. I don't think you're, you're not going to find a lot of, people like Travis who are abusing it. They, they just don't. Why would they do that? So it's well, wireless. It's wireless, guys. Well, to be clear, you did say cellular wireless, and I think we're not seeing the fixed wireless folks. Uh, no, no, I meant cellular right. wireless. Yeah, cellular. yeah. Yes. And so the cellular guys, some of them enter the program with fraud in mind. They they do what you said. They sign yeah, absolutely. up. They drop them off. They collect from them for another year. But they give them some I crappy phone. That's not broadband to start with. Just don't but is it only cell phone carriers and is it that intentional or is it just well, yeah oh, it's it, intentional oh it's not it's not the big name carriers it's all these there's these hundred companies you've never heard of before we're strictly in the business for this weird low-income stuff yes it's absolutely intentional for many of them so. travis you got excited there for a hot minute i was just surprised and i want to know if you were oh too. for god's sake <laughs> <laughs> i mean I didn't even see this coming, did you, Chris? Well, this has been happening for 10 years. On well, so that's one of the things line. I wanted to note. I mean, like, this is the thing, right? How did the, the Trump administration react to the fraud in Lifeline, which was the same people, right? It's, it's the, same the same people, people doing it. It's been going on for a decade. They, just the, just I, I wanted to take away the subsidy from tribal lands because, like, a bunch of people who aren't native – rolling up on the tribal lands and ripping them off. And the answer was, let's deny the subsidies to the people who need it the most. And so this is where I just get frustrated as I feel like it's all these little things behind the scenes that make a big difference. Um, in the meantime, there's articles about, you know, about some of this, but it ignores, I think, the bigger issue. Uh, which is that these programs are poorly designed. They're not working um, in the way that they should. Um, and then we get fixated on a few issues while never fixing the other issues. I don't know. That's so abstract. But the, but the it's not thing is, me. okay, so you, Travis, you can like raise your job because I know you're so surprised that this um, was happening. But to fix it, you have to add more loopholes or like all this paperwork and crap to, to make it harder to get. 
So how do you make it easy and you make it effective? Because if you have all the paperwork to remove all the fraud, you're going to reduce the amount of people who actually want to participate in it too. I think Doug offered the answer. Do you want to repeat it, Doug, in terms of, of what yeah. you do to do with that? Because I think you're right, Kim. That is a tendency. Let's ditch all the carriers who are abusive. Be done with them. You're off. You're gone. Tomorrow you go. Yeah, and Here's actually them. prosecute them. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is that like we have a justice system that has limited ability to go after some kinds of criminals who are engaging in fraud that hurts millions of people. And we have unlimited resources to go after the people that do property crimes. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't prosecute those, uh, but it just strikes me that uh, we have an imbalance in how we go after this. And so we have people that see that they can make millions of dollars in this and hopefully skip off to a non-extraditing company bef country before they get caught. Uh, let's move on to Mr. Matt Larson. Welcome back, Matt. Hi, guys. Uh, Matt has uh, joined us before. Matt runs Vista Beam, connecting a whole bunch of people in a wide area where no one has any neighbors that they can walk to. <laughs> and do you have a frequent flyer plan like Chris does on no, but it's, I, I need I, I need one. It's about the point we need to have like one of those little helicopters, uh, you know, little James Bond helicopter to like hop around. But uh, in the frequent flyer program, get you there. They get that loyalty. People will want to pay that extra. Like uh, you can uh, have them get extra points in their bill each month, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but all I need is one of those better call Saul guys to go sign up people for cell phone plans, apparently, and for uh, ACP. So we're asking you first about the portable tower and I'm curious if you can share some about it and then we'll talk about like what makes it um, really cool because it's not just that it can move around. Sure. Let me, uh, let me see if I can figure out how to, uh, if you share your share screen, screen it's not, here, it's not going to do anything immediately, but I can make it work once you start doing that. All right, let's and try Chris, that. I'm, I'm glad that you're not uh, Matt's marketing person. He provides connectivity to a bunch of people who can't walk to their neighbors. It was the best marketing campaign I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> we have a loyal <laughs> following, and uh, those folks have never missed an episode, so they know very well who Matt is. <laughs> he might have meant that they are a long distance from their network. He wasn't really talking about their ability to walk, I don't think. <laughs> so what are we looking at here? So I've got a few pictures. So let me, I'm going to, let me bring up one. This is, this is one of our portable towers here. And wow, that's bigger than I thought. Some of the reasoning for where we came up with this is uh, we had a need to put towers in some very remote places um, where, where we're at. There aren't a lot of existing towers and the ones that are out there uh, tend to be very expensive to get on. You know, they're owned by American tower or crown castle. So, we went around and we tried experimenting with some different things, you know, putting a, uh, you know, a pole in the ground, or we even took some irrigation pipe, did all kinds of experimenting. But eventually we ended up working with a local manufacturer and we designed something we call a cowboy tower, you know? So a cow is like a cell that's short for like sell on wheels. And that's something that like cell phone companies generally have a real big trailer with a tower and a, a cellular base station in it. They roll out and deploy. So, we came up with a smaller design and the idea that this is something that we could roll out and put up in an afternoon, but it's sturdy enough that it could stay out there for years at a time. So uh, we put our first one in about 10 years ago. It's still sitting in the same place 
and uh, has been operating that whole time. And the idea behind this is, you know, easy to deploy and sort of a regulatory bypass. So since it's not a permanent structure, we don't have to get any permits. Um, it doesn't require any digging or trenching to build a foundation or anything like that. So it has very low environmental impact. Uh, most of the ones we have are operate off of solar and or wind power, but we do have some that have utility power coming to them. And then they can also obviously be moved, you know, and we had some situations early on where we had made a deal with somebody to get put in a tower at their property and then they sold it. And then the new owners uh, expected that we were supposed to come out and take care of all their computer problems on very short notice. And it was like, <laughs> we're not, <laughs> that was not part of the deal. It's like, well, you're going to, we're going to make, make you remove your tower. And that was a situation where it's like, okay, we need to have some alternatives. So we developed these towers. Like I said, these are built locally. Uh, there's a manufacturer here called Olic Manufacturing. They typically build large uh, truck boxes for, uh, they build semi trailers for hauling mostly, you know, grain and, you know, feed products and stuff like that. And, uh, one of the, the owner of the company was a partner at my, my first ISP. And so I kind of ran this idea past him and then they came, he came together and got, uh, uh, put together a design and this is, this is where we ended up. So, uh, I've been really happy. I think we have about 25 of these out right now. Uh, spread out across uh, Wyoming, Colorado, Nebraska. Um, I got a couple more pictures I could talk through here. Uh, so this is this is uh, basically one of our taller ones. We put guy wires on it. We can go up to 60 feet with these. So this is one of the taller ones. This one's just outside of Centennial, Wyoming. And down here, you can see this is the backhaul that feeds it. And then these are sector antennas. And then there's another small backhaul at the very top. Uh, and this provides service to, I think we have about 60 customers on this site. And then it feeds another site that has another, uh, I want to say another 50 or 60 customers on it. Um, is that about the, does that, that the limit of the number of antennas you can put on it because of wind resistance? Well, to a degree, yeah. Um, I, I've got some interesting pictures to show you. So the when you guide these up, they have a lot more wind load than you would think. Uh, they're pretty sturdy. Uh, we're using Rhone 45 uh, tower sections, which are, that's pretty sturdy. The 25 stuff is a little bit too small, um, but we have not had an issue with any that have, uh, we've not had any wind load issues. Uh, so, so far, so good. This is a different picture. You can kind of see it at scale with a, a truck in the foreground. This one has utility power um, that was trenched in and you can see a little bit more how that's set up. Um, this is the base. So basically we have these four outriggers that go out for stabilization. My tower guys say that when we've got the guy wires and the outriggers out, they say it's like climbing a regular tower. Um, thing that's cool about it, we also have uh, basically trailer jacks and adjustable legs. So this can go on very uneven surfaces. So we've got some on the side of a hill where you know one side might be you know two, three foot higher than the other very rocky terrain that we can't level so we can actually set this up so that it's uh secured you can see we've actually got additional ground anchors to secure the base down uh to to keep it keep it down there here's another one uh this is in colorado uh and you can see we've got a wind generator on top we've got multiple cell or multiple solar panels down at the bottom 
Um, this one goes around a corner in a place where we couldn't get any commercial towers. We were able to, to get a connection down through a canyon that uh, had no other, there's no fiber down that direction. Um, there's, there was no other way to get anything down there other than satellite. So uh, that's what we had going on here. This is another tower uh, up in Colorado. This is one that was very uneven. Uh, I wish I could find my drone footage. Uh, you could, if you could see the drone footage, you would see how this is a very, you can just barely see here on the side how uh, much of a difference there is in the the front and the back, the elevation here. So this is basically on the side of a hill. We had did some excavation with a to try and get it evened up a little bit. Um, but this is this is a small one. I think this one's serving uh, fifteen or twenty customers in an area. So we're talking about sturdy now. This is this is an interesting one. So uh, this is one we have in Colorado. Uh, we put in to serve one commercial customer, and a uh, combine hit one of the guy wires. So this basically lost a guy wire. It bent one leg, but the tower stood this way for thirty days, and that is. For those of you know, know about wind loading, that's a big dish. That's a four-foot dish up on top. Yeah. So that's the sort of thing where you would think that with compromised guy wires and a giant dish like that, that it would have just blown that thing over. But it didn't. It stood for 30 days. Uh, we went that, down and, that, uh, yeah, go ahead. Was that because um, they didn't tell you after they hit it with the tractor and then you had a guy out there and they were like, uh, we got the Leaning Tower of Pisa out here? No, so this is actually to a uh, it, this is to a road race track in Colorado that's out in the middle of nowhere, and they called up said, "Hey, internet's not working." It's like, yeah, we saw the signal went offline, and so they drove up and sent us this picture. It's like, oh, well, that would explain why it's not connected anymore, and it actually would connect off and on. That four foot dish is shooting forty miles, so that's. So did they just reorient it and then wait until they could come back, or did, was it a flaky for for thirty days? Well, this happened during harvest, which is after their primary season. Okay. Uh, so, and they had a, we, we had a backup connection for them. So we came down about 30 days later and we swapped everything out, but we took the base and everything and just, uh, uh, we, we adjusted. There were a couple of, of welds that broke. We fixed the welds and put a new outrigger on and this is back out. But this just kind of blew my mind as to how sturdy it actually was, uh, that, losing a guy wire still stayed standing. Cause I've seen a lot of towers of this size. If they lost a guy wire with a four foot dish, they would have come tumbling down. So yeah. it just showed how much, uh, res how resilient that base is, uh, compared to how much one of these roughly costs. If you're able to put one up for one customer, it's probably, you know, on the, the tower. And if you're putting like a 60 foot one up, probably in the, nine thousand dollar range nine or ten thousand dollar range that's very affordable yeah yeah um just to give you an idea so this is old old picture from i think the first year that we had these out this big one right here this is what a sell on wheels typically looks like it's this giant thing that uh takes up a ton of space and it's pretty heavy and then this is our this is our portable tower all tucked away towed behind a jeep and we've actually, it, the the trailer and everything, it's small enough and light enough that we can tow it behind us side by side to like really remote areas. And then when we when we go to install the trailer, we put the outriggers on uh, 
and jack them up a little bit and then we just roll the trailer out from under it so we can actually use this trailer to go out and deploy multiple towers so it doesn't have that big base under it like a regular cell on wheels does that's cool um uh, I've, never, but, I've never seen a cell on wheels that'll work reliably on cell work so they got to be close to power so yeah and this is an example of one uh it, the base flips down so the guys can do all the work down at the bottom as far as like running the wires and putting the dishes on and everything. And uh, then you can see them kind of, you know, attaching the equipment and everything. And then when they just flip the, flip the tower up into position when they're ready to go. Um, in fact, I, I wish I had a picture of this. My guys went out and we had, uh, we had one in Colorado. It was a 50 foot one. And we had, one oddball, one of the tower sections in the middle uh, had some, it was showing some wear, like it had, it was showing like it had some, some metal fatigue in it. And so my guys, we took, they took our bucket truck, they hooked up to the top, loosened the guy wires, picked up the top section about two feet, uh, unbolted the middle section, picked it up about two feet in the air, put in a new middle section, then lowered it down. Uh, and this is, we, they did that because we had about 60 customers that were fed from that tower and we had given them notice that it could go down because we thought we might have to, they were expecting they would have to replace the entire tower, which is usually like a two, three day project, but they got this done and none of the customers even lost service, but they just picked up the top, replaced the middle section, lowered it back down, bolted it together, retightened the guy wires, dropped it. It was all done within about a four hour window. So that was um, that's how we roll out here in the middle of nowhere where we got to figure out you know, hey Matt, how to get you, different places. Can you go back to two pictures? All right. This one? Yep. So for all of you policy people on the East Coast that live in uh, major metro areas. <laughs> Hit me. Yeah. And all you people, the New York bankers, they need to see this picture here when they talk about... So whenever we talk about wireless is not ideal in certain scenarios... This scenario here is ideal. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, you see those little dots in the distance? That's the customer. Yeah. I know. I've been trying to count customers. I think I've counted three <laughs> so far as Matt's been showing the pictures. Yeah. Wow. Now, this is the one. Count count the customer. Oh, there are none. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are some out there, but, uh, you know, it's this is this is the kind of thing we have to do to try and get into those last little corners here uh, to try and get people served. You're well, bringing internet what... to the tent. Internet yeah. to the tent. That's just about. It <laughs> that's... It, can you generate enough power off solar, though? That's always the problem I've heard. Yeah, so you can. Uh, okay. A lot of it depends on the type of equipment. So uh, can you like feed a Toronto base station? No. A Toronto base station needs like its own transformer practically because those things consume a lot of power. Uh, these are, I think we've got a license link and then we've got some, uh, like Microtik ubiquity type radios on here and those don't consume very much power. So in a scenario where you're trying to get, like, we typically are doing like hundred down 20 up type service with these. So that's, uh, that's what we can do with this. Now we do have some, like the one I showed previous, um, this one here has utility power. And so it actually has a license link. And I think we've got a cambium 450 up here, which does consume a fair amount of power. 
So, you know, solar typically, and we have built some bigger solar plants. Uh, this one, when we originally installed it, actually had a uh, LTE base station in it originally, which we have since replaced. But those typically, it, it had an LTE base station and two license links, which consumes a fair amount of power. Yeah. You can do it. You just have to add more. You have to add more uh, solar panels. And then yeah. we recently started using a new type of wind turbine. This one that's up here is kind of a, it's a little undersized. We put in a, a larger wind turbine that runs in AC. So it doesn't have as much loss in the cable as we see with DC. And that thing puts out some juice. So we can, also need more storage than I'm guessing too, right? You do. Yeah. And that's been tricky. Honestly, the supply chain for batteries is kind of, kind of horrendous nowadays, but uh, we've been able to, we've been able to get a lot of this stuff put up. Huh. We got a question here from uh, Ezra. Um, uh, where do you get uh, your backhaul? And I think you, you mentioned that, you know, for some of you have that you could see the microwave. Uh, it doesn't seem like all of them had that. Yeah. So we typically like, we will have at least one 10 gig fiber in a county in a place where we can distribute from that location out to other places in the county. So we typically build our own microwave backhaul to feed these. Uh, I don't think we have any in a spot where they're fed with fiber directly right now. Uh, we do have some that are fed by Siklu 10 gig. And so it's basically the equivalent of fiber. Uh, but that's, we, we go out and we, we get the backhaul from whatever points uh, we feel like. Also, all of these have, uh, almost all of them have multiple backhauls coming in and out. So we kind of have everything designed in such a way that we always have a backup path into a tower. And we're even experimenting. Uh, we have one that we have a, a Starlink on the far end that we're using as kind of like our emergency backup uh, because it's at the other end of a canyon where there's no other there's no fiber coming in. There's no other way to bring backhaul in because it's surrounded by mountains and national forests. So, uh, you know, we get pretty creative with that part of it. Now, Starlink giving you, are they, have they come out with a wholesale product yet or is that still just a business connection? Oh, let's just say it's sort of an experiment right now. Okay. Um, okay. You know, there was one in my house that we used for testing that we decided to put on the network to use for testing in, in this scenario. So, uh, you know, but it's, it's basically for emergency uses only every once in a while we had it in place, you know, in case it was along the path where we had to replace the middle section of that one tower. So we were using it basically in the event that we, we didn't have another way to get in there. Now you mentioned uh, like uh, on the order of $9,000 for a larger tower. Uh, what are you looking at? And like, what's an example of where you use this for a shorter tower and a, like a lower expense just to give a, the other side of the scale. Like if you were doing one with just like one section on it, then no guy wires or anything, you know, that's probably like, I don't know, 7,500. I, I, I wish I had better numbers for you on it. Uh, but I think that's kind of the neighborhood of where they're yeah. at. I mean, it's it's actually it's it's kind of interesting because I mean, I think in my mind it seems like you'd still be pretty limited. Then, um, you know, when you have you have one or two customers that need something like this, are they generally going to pay that cost, or is that something that's you know you work it out over a longer period contract, or how do you handle that? So most of the places we put these in, um, 
a lot of the ones that we put in were funded through CARES Act. So we got CARES Act grants in Wyoming and Nebraska. And some of the places that didn't have service, this is what this is what we used the money for was to put these in uh, and do that. Now we have had scenarios where um, we've had some landowners that were willing to pay for the tower. Uh, we had a couple in Wyoming. Uh, one rancher, I think, put up 5000 to towards the cost of the tower so that him and his neighbors could get internet. Uh, we had to know this is actually a great story. Uh, this guy moved up from Texas and he, he bought a big ranch and it was out in the middle of nowhere and he needed to get some service out there uh, so he could run his business or whatever he had. And uh, I was like, well, we can get you there, but you know, it's, it's going to cost about 10 grand for us to put the tower in. And his, his response was buddy, I just paid a plumber $13,000 to get running water in my house. And I need internet worse than that. So just get it out here as soon as you can. So that was all right. We'll do it. How many do you have deployed right now? I think we have about 25. Okay. Out there. Do you find that like you said they're pretty resilient, but do you find that any climate or um, geographical area is better for them than others? Or do you think they're about the same? Oh, I think they're about the same. I mean, honestly, if you look at, the, the pictures I provided here, you can see that we don't have a ton of trees. Now, 60 foot is, you know, if you get on a high spot, that's that might get over a few trees. So if you've got an environment where it's surrounded by trees, this probably isn't going to go up high enough to, to make a difference there. But that's, you know, so that say la vie, you know, that's that's how it works. So um, but to try to try and go. We, we, like I said, we looked at this as kind of a regulatory bypass. We've had so many hurdles put up where, you know, we couldn't get a permit to put this in. And we really end, ran into a lot of issues with uh, environmental stuff where it's like, you know, you, you're going to ruin, you know, if you disrupt the ground, you know, it's going to cause this issue or that issue. Um, you know, we haven't tested this completely but because these exist on private land we think they may fall under otard which basically means that if we get some aggressive uh you know some aggressive group that says hey you can't put that tower here uh if the private property owner says yes we can then uh we can because there have been some issues where uh we've run into some situations where people got pretty adamant and have blown up uh you know, county commissioner meetings over towers going in certain areas and, you know, concerns about, you know, 5G, you know, brain control sort of yeah, stuff. You're, you're, you're providing cancer and all the things that everybody says that you're doing on those. Exactly. Towers. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So, so this is kind of, this is kind of our way of, of, uh, uh, kind of going, going around roadblocks like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And you, and you have a strong retard argument. I think you'd carry it down. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I, I wish that wasn't the case, but uh, we haven't directly, we've just kind of had threats of it, but I did talk to another provider that had uh, gone through the process, six month process to get a permit to put a tower in a town and uh, a bunch of 5G activists showed up and blew up the council meeting and they lost all their work and all the people that they had signed, you know, on their waiting list, ready to go because uh some clowns with no science background showed up at a deal 
and uh, messed up the the permitting process. So, yeah, that's thank goodness we don't have anybody like this in there watchers today, do we? <laughs> I'm sure any, we'll hear uh, from them if we do. Uh, Travis, do you have any other questions? No, I'm I'm super impressed actually. I I, yeah. I I like the line of sight availability you have. There's not a lot of places I've been that are as I mean, you can shoot for miles and miles, I bet, out there. Yeah, but you know, it's the the trade-off. I, I love you know, I'm starting to appreciate customer density more and more. Um, oh yeah, that was yeah. the other thing that went through my head. Wow. Yeah. It's tough to sign up a dozen customers there and then you driving Doing tech support calls has got to be a nightmare. If somebody you got to drive for three hours to get to them, well, yeah, it, it, my, yeah. That was one of my questions. Was you have twenty five deployed? How many techs do you have for those twenty five? And it's it's interesting. Is is the maintenance and upkeep or tech support different for these versus your other regular towers? No, no. It's actually in some ways, <laughs> in some ways, it's easier because uh, the one thing it seems to be our biggest issue with. Uh, that relates to service outages has to do with power going out and uh rural electric power is not always the most reliable thing in the world so having i'm not to say we haven't had we've had some teething pains kind of trying to figure out how to get uh the solar uh capacity sorted out and the amount of battery capacity that we need and you know tracking that so we've had to work through some issues there but a lot of in most cases the solar the solar plant at definitely 11 and a half months out of the year, the solar alternative energy plants are way more reliable than utility power. That is um, surprising. I mean, I, I mean, it wouldn't have surprised me if that it was, you know, six months out of the year, but for it to be that much, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. The biggest issue it's December 15th through January 15th. And we have a snow cat and we got about 10 generators <laughs> and uh, if we have to, we have run guys out to put gas in generators at sites uh, to keep them running in the middle of the winter. If, if you know, we, we it doesn't happen a lot in our area, but this last winter was pretty rough where we had, you know, tons of snow and no sun for like multiple days. And we have added, that's why we've added more wind and some bigger wind generators to our sites to kind of get that sorted out. But, How do you keep the panels clear of snow? Do you have someone that runs out there to deal with it or you just wait till it melts? Uh, generally, we wait till it melts. Um, but the wind, <laughs> Wyoming has a lot of wind. If you've ever been here, uh, you'd realize that uh, mm -hmm. wind is, uh, you know, it's a, can be an asset. So it tends to clear the panels off uh, at some point. Um, we, we have gone out and cleared the panels. I have another picture of my deal. It's not queued up, but yeah, we, we do send guys out every once in a while with the snow cat to clear the panels off because we have meters. We can see, you know, where the power's coming from. So we can see the powers might, or the panels might be low, but we can see energy coming from the wind generator. We even have a thermoelectric generator on one site. That's very remote. Uh, it's the same kind of design they used on the moon rovers to generate electricity. I don't even understand how this stuff works, but, um, <laughs> it, uh, it's cool. And it was the sort of thing that we, we, we've tried a lot of different things, but uh, yeah, they've, they've actually been pretty easy to maintain uh, for the most part. Cool. Yeah. My, um, my friend and uh, guy I work with often, Matt Rantanen, who does the tribal broadband boot camps with me, he's been running a solar powered wireless network for 20 years and the headaches that he's gone through and just trying to figure out how to like 
like the batteries to make sure they have a long life. You got to like make sure you don't charge them past 80% or discharge them past a certain percent. You got to work all that out. And it's just, it's uh sounds like it's a giant headache. It's an adventure. Now, once you get one, we've spent a lot of time kind of putting together uh, the right combination of panels, batteries, uh, the controller, not all solar controllers are designed equal. Some are much better than others. Um, and, you know, the wind design, now that we're looking at doing the, uh, now that we're looking at doing the uh, uh, AC wind generators, uh, that was a big issue we have with the wind generators because we'd have a long run and we'd lose most of the power uh, getting back to the batteries. With the AC, we don't have that problem. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then we don't have to use these giant, super expensive wires either that, you know, make them a target for copper thieves. Not that, not that copper, it's gotta be a pretty adventurous copper thief to go try and figure out how to get copper off these things. They need a four by four. That's a lot of motivation. Yeah, no, I would. On that ceiling, I don't think it's worth it. I'm just saying, (laughs) I don't know with gas prices where it is. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you, Matt. Um, If you want to stick around for a sec, we're going to talk about Siklu in the city and uh, you can join us for that. You bet. Um, so Travis, in a, in a previous call, uh, you had talked about, uh, the situation where, um, you had the sick connection. We had the hailstorm. You went out for two minutes and, uh, got a one-star rating on a review site because, uh, you were out temporarily. We had one of our, uh, listeners write in and ask, uh, you know, for some more details about that, just out of curiosity. And so, um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about how that set up? Uh, yeah, one second. I'm going to write that sick glue in the city. I think we might have our first <laughs> song for our band. <laughs> sick glue in the city. Huh? Um, do I get Do I get to play the recorder in the band? Yeah, 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 yeah. Guys, well, okay. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, 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 we uh, we have everyone has a role in the band. So uh, Chris is our our lead singer. So no, no, no. Yeah, I've got to be the backup dancer. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's the least damage I could do, perhaps. Uh, so, t- so typical deployment. Uh, we're talking about thirty story buildings uh, adjacent to each other. We're um, are these off three ninety four? No, these are in downtown Minneapolis. So oh, okay. we're talking about uh, roughly six hundred to eight hundred feet apart. Uh, three, you know, uh, two foot dishes. So very reliable point-to-point 10 gigabit connection uh, in the wireless world. Very, very short. But uh, as you recall, Chris, and I just found out from my insurance company, which, by the way, State Farm, thank you for the new roof. Um, the, um, I mean, the hail was unbelievable that came through here for that two, three-minute period. And there was enough attenuation between those two antennas that we couldn't pass any bits through it. Now, and is that caused from vibration from things hitting them and there are things in between them or what? Basically, hail is water and there was so much water in between them. It's just that, between them, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that there was, uh, there were just not enough um, enough signal to create a, a, a carrier. So the, the So it dropped. Again, this went through in a matter of no time. Uh, in this particular building, um, we lost connectivity for 90 seconds to two minutes and man, I got flamed on social media. So this was all premised in the thing that back in 1999, we all would go outside and watch the hail come down. But nowadays, nope, you, uh, you start doing one star Google reviews. 
So he probably wanted to watch other videos of hail coming down. I yeah, you know, people are people are people. I'll just put it that way. So um, so the point was is that what where we have used these type of cyclo uh, connections is in areas where we have not deployed fiber yet, and then when we get our fiber footprint to that building, we will replace the Cyclo connection and we will move it to another building. So we're always a year or two away from the Cyclo area until it gets promoted into a fiber area. So we find it a very good technology for um, early getting that early adoption, getting that early customer on. But one time now in the last 10 years we've been doing this, we get a one-star Google rating, so that was the uh, the backstory there. But you know, ninety seconds is a long outage. <laughs> well, you know, and you tell people, so here you try to explain to people what ninety-nine, what five nines is. They don't want to hear yeah. it. They don't want to hear it at all. They're like, "Well, I was watching. I don't give me a Netflix show. I was watching this really important Netflix show, and it buffered." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Well, I'm sorry you had to talk to your wife or husband for a few minutes, but uh, we were back." You know, and it's amazing what, that people notice 90 second outages and bother oh. to write a complaint that probably takes them 10 minutes to get to the website, log in and whatnot. No, and I'll say something you've heard me say a hundred times. I'm on charter. We have outages like that all the oh. time. <laughs> it, it goes back to what it's, it, what did we talk about at the beginning of the show? It's what you get used to. You know, Chris was so happy to get 200 megabit. You know, I guess when it just works and it doesn't, it's more it's more of a shock than if it doesn't work half the time. So, no, it, it, it's it's just interesting, um, yeah. you know. But in in fairness, if we had a fiber cut, it would be out longer than ninety seconds or than than two minutes. So, there's there's right. no perfect technology. Let's put it that way. Matt, anything you want to share? Anything that that sparks? Yeah. So, I mean, we do, we do a lot of similar type stuff. So uh, we've started deploying fiber in a few towns, but there's a few places where um, it doesn't make sense to try and get right away. Or, you know, we've already got a customer base and somebody started deploying fiber. So um, we're kind of using a combination of Siklu uh, for backhaul uh, if we can't do our own fiber. And then uh, some places we've got like millimeter wave using the, uh, we're using the Cambium CN wave product and that's capable of I think two gig um, up and down and then we're also using some of the Tirana and we've been selling 500 down 100 mega packages for a while uh, with that um, you know the millimeter wave stuff has a really short range uh, so it's we kind of put that into business park areas stuff like that and then the the Tirana we've had success getting out as far as like seven or eight miles uh, in a lot of different situations to kind of extend that out more into residential areas, but also picking up commercial stuff outside of town. And the thing I, the thing I love about it, you know, it's, yeah, I'm we're we've definitely become more of a, a hybrid operation now. So we're doing, we're doing, I like the idea of using fiber where it makes sense and using fixed wireless where, uh, the fiber doesn't make sense and kind of putting something together. Everything's got its advantages and disadvantages. So, um, I'd like to meet that person that says, I only like to do fiber where it doesn't make sense. I live for the challenges. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, we've had an interesting experience. We got our first town where we completely got done, uh, deploying fiber. 
to all the locations of the town and we still have 10 customers on the wireless they don't want they're like i i, I don't want a wire coming into my house all right fine you can keep your <laughs> keep your wireless connection you know uh if you want um you know i would say it's great it, fixed wireless can be a challenge you know i've been doing wireless since 98 so i've got almost 25 years doing it and you know you can put stuff up and it works great for a long time and then something else changes and then you have to figure out how to adjust so we have uh you know figured out how to deal with that so from that standpoint fiber is really easy when you put it in and then you know deploying fiber is super easy as far as i'm concerned was could we write a contract or a check and then you know they do all the work and we just plug our stuff in and switch people over you know that part's super easy Wireless has been, you know, we've had to put up our own infrastructure and go figure out, you know, how to deal with, with the different issues that come up. But, you know, I think in the end, it, it's all about just making sure that customers are able to run the stuff that they want to run on it. How many, how many square miles uh, do you cover? Remind me. About 45,000. So my question is whether you have had to deal with more permitting agency or Travis has. Uh, for his tens of square miles that he's covered. Do you have a, a sense of of how many permitting agencies both of you have to deal with? So, you know, I, I'm going to jump in with a, a slightly sideways version on that. So I, I'm guessing I probably have more permitting agencies to deal with. But there's this great book called American Nations that talks about different cultures throughout the U.S. And uh, Minnesota, for example, is part of Midwestern culture and Midwest Midwestern culture has uh, a fairly long history of requiring, you know, permits and committees and analysis of different things to have happen. Like on the East coast, it's really bad. I got a buddy in New York state and he has to bring like this giant three wing ring binder to a, to a, a county commissioner meeting with engineering documents and everything else to put a tower somewhere. Now, Western culture, which kind of encompasses, you know, Wyoming, Colorado, Western Nebraska, Utah, those those kind of states is Western culture. And American Western culture is very anti-documentation. So the difference would be I probably have to deal with the same parties, but the majority of the counties, if I go to them and say, hey, we want to put a tower here, they're like, cool, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no permitting. There's no, there's the permitting load is less. I'm not going to say everywhere because we do have a few counties where we have had to, you know, I think one of those towers I showed Albany County, Wyoming, we, they, they've been pretty strict about permitting. So we do have to kind of go through a process of doing that, provide them engineering and documentation make sure that this isn't going to, you know, if this tower falls over, it's not going to hit a structure or fall across a roadway or something like that. So there's a little bit of it, but a lot of it is like, you know, we go to a, go to a town council meeting. It's like, can we put stuff on your water tank? And they're like, yes, all in favor. All right. Okay. Go. You know, and it's, it's pretty straightforward. Whereas I'm sure Travis could provide a detailed description of what permitting is like in uh, an urban area. Well, I like the fact you did not include California in the Western culture. So it's not, it's not. I was about to say, because it's like all the environmental stuff. You can't include Utah and yeah. California yeah. in the same state. Yeah. So no, I was, I was trying to count them while you were saying, and I think in our little, uh, you know, 65 square miles, I think there's at least a dozen different permitting authorities to try to, you know, go down the street and you don't, 
And half the time they don't even know what they, who has authority over what. So you've got to figure that out first and then, but yeah, no, it's uh there's no fun in permitting. Let's put it that Travis, way. Travis, did I make it up in my head? I thought at one point you said you thought that maybe there was about 30 that you'd gone doing crossing Minneapolis. I mean, well, everything from the Air there, Force. Then when you get further out, there's a whole other bucket load of them. So we, uh, we, we lucked out when we crossed the river that we didn't have to engage, you know, the Corps of Engineers and all the other ones. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there, there's, there's a good dozen or so right in, in Minneapolis. And then just go out the next ring suburb. Yeah. You pick up another dozen. It doesn't take long to get 30, Chris. Yeah. yeah. All right. Did you, did you think you're going to share something, Matt, or is that just uh, um, something? Oh, just that book I was talking about. I, I, I was trying to send it, but if you, I shared it on my screen so you can see the, the Amazon listing for it, this is American. a fast, it's a fascinating book. I would encourage anybody to read it, but uh, yeah, definitely California, the whole the whole West coast is a different cultural area. Um, the Southwest was originally part of Mexico. So it has more of a Mexican style culture. It, it's a great book. Anybody, everybody should read it. Cool. That's, that's cute that we, you think that we can actually read Matt. Um, we're not, we're not to that point in our life. <laughs> there's, a, there's an audio book available too. <laughs> yeah, thank, like, you, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to take off the, uh, the book recommendations section of the end. I was going to include Kim. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Uh, Matt, uh, we'll let you go. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Have a good show, guys. All right. And uh, as we're running low on time, I like that was really good. More of the time than I thought we'd spend on it. Uh, I wanted to talk about paperwork and NTIA because uh, someone I know uh, finally got an award and they were looking at it and they were like, oh man, I knew it was going to be bad, but like we got to hire someone. Like it's just part of me wonders if like the goal of this is to like really jack up those hiring numbers <laughs> of like <laughs> they're creating jobs, <laughs> people that do paperwork. No, um, sorry. You have to do them. A- basically a book every six months and it's actually more work than your grant application i mean we've talked about how horrible those are they want to know every amazing statistic they want to tell you stuff that nobody knows they want you to tell them all about your customer base and i'll ask travis you don't know who your customers are you don't really care as long as they're willing to buy it you don't ask them questions nobody asks their customers like who are you how to use my stuff because that's being nosy. ISPs don't do that. So it, there's just a ton of stuff in this reporting mm-hmm. that you just look at it and you go, and so people fake it is what they do. <laughs> but it's still a ridiculous big book of stuff. And it's over and over and over. And it's for years and years and years. So you do have to hire somebody unless you have a, a spare person who can do paperwork. So, yeah, it's unbelievable. So it's, I mean, you have to think twice about taking an NTIA grant. And this is not just bead because the tribal grants are like they're all like this so doesn't matter what so, grant you can yeah. what if you think like the people the consultants who are out there doing some of these grants because i hear a lot of people who are well, they out don't there. tell they don't warn people about this part of the world. Mm. <laughs> they, that's fair because it's it's true right they don't warn I, them and um, look i have a question but also i think travis was going to jump in and look like earlier no no i just Travis wants to say, I don't know who's going to take the money. No, no, no. I want to do my Chris Mitchell surprise face. Like, really? It's There's a lot of paperwork and documentation and reporting of nonsense? 
So there you go. So I'm, what I'm curious about is, in particular, is, is um, you know, Doug, you mentioned that, you know, some of the stuff is, is like beyond, um, not, it's not needed. It's well beyond yes, uh, reasonable requests. Um, yes. How much of it? Like, you know, is, is this is this almost entirely just make work stuff? It is because if you get a grant, all they really need to know is that you spent the dollars you said you were going to spend on the grant project. They don't need to know very much more than that. I mean, what else do they need to know that you didn't cheat them on the dollars? You know, all this reporting is based upon them wanting to gather statistics to talk about how great they are in giving you the money. But who's looking Who's looking at the reporting the ISPs have to the submit? The NCIA, and then they make these reports to brag about how many benefits they brought the community. So all these statistics are to to tell them about the communities that got their grant money. It has nothing to do with the grant itself. So they well, can they... report on how many jobs they've created and, and things all that, like that. Yes, all that kind of stuff is in this reporting. It's crazy. But like you stuff. said, they're putting fluff in there. So is it even real, the reports that we're seeing? Or do you think they're accurate in any... Any, any I've ever touched are not too accurate. I think. <laughs> it's like, just say this. Yeah. Uh, no, well, most of the questions you can't answer, honestly, because you have no idea what the heck they're even trying to get at. Right. So. And that's, I feel like one of the, the frustrations and I'm, I'm hoping that we'll move away from this. I think more and more people are recognizing that it is not helpful to be asking all these questions. We should focus on what we care about. Get that well, done. It's this bureaucracy. You take NTIA, they got seven different departments. Each one of them wants to learn something about these grants and they layer on a lot of questions. Next thing you know, the grant reporting is a book. And the fact is, somebody there should have said, none of you get to layer on questions. But they didn't do that. So, yeah. Well, what I find remarkable is that one of the problems we have with the FCC is that they cannot change their uh, forms like Form 477 very easily to ask different questions because you have to go through a whole process. And yet it seems like to ask these questions, um, they were able to get through that process just fine. And so well, interesting. <laughs> now, the FCC is just the opposite. They never have even made the. Uh... The big ILEX prove that they even built CAF too. They basically ask no questions. <laughs> well, I'm, that's that's the exact opposite. Yeah, I'm curious about that. I is it this week? Um, let me check quick. Um, and I didn't know that the FCC had any problems, Chris. I was a little um, yeah, no, taken aback by that the, comment. The um, I'm curious um, how you react to this, uh, Doug, but um, this week's podcast, Community Broadband Bits, is with Brent Christensen, who runs uh, Minnesota Telecom Alliance, uh, represents uh, small carriers as well as a couple of some of the larger telephone companies in Minnesota. And he and I were talking about a variety of things around EA, EA cam, extended ACAM, and um, we talked about CAF a bit and um, and ACAM and how they are doing the testing now. And so isn't it the case that uh, there are some number of addresses that uh, the carriers are having to demonstrate with speed tests that they are providing 80% of the speeds 80% of the time? Or is that not happening? Yes, but the original rules said that the FCC would pick the places at random and then they gave in and let the ISPs pick their spots to get tested. <laughs> it's like, well, I have 11 customers that are getting speeds. Let's test those 11. I mean, I'm not kidding you. So, 
it's just it's hard to believe that that is the case. <laughs> Travis, go ahead and make fun of me. Go ahead, hit well, me. I, I need I it. Actually, was wondering: is there actually a location that has all of these acronyms and programs listed? I mean, I there's like every day there seems to be a new one. Yeah, AM. This is my head. That's it. Man. Is there something called Deed now? I just read about. Oh yes. yeah, Deed is, Deed is old school. Deed is the Department of Economic, or it's the Economic Development folks for the state of Minnesota. I mean, with all these yeah. programs, do you think everyone would have high speed broadband everywhere? What's going on, Chris? So Travis, I think we should play a game. Yeah, just pick out four letters and see if we can make an acronym and see exactly. if there's a broadband program. The chances, the chances, so are, the chances are there's already an acronym in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crazy, crazy. Okay. So hopefully this will go down as the um, height, the uh, the top of the parabola for um, paperwork. And we'll start going in the other direction uh, to get more bang for our buck and not discourage people from taking part in these programs. Oh, that's cute. That's cute, Chris Mitchell, that you actually think we're at the top of the paperwork parabola as you would I, say and I it's gonna go down we at, i thought we were at the beginning so here i don't know <laughs> i do want to throw in one thing about the wireless it's, it's the thing. hold on i'm gonna bring I, Matt I, back in a second i just want to warn him uh, he looks like he's ready so i'm gonna uh, bring him back in a second go ahead doug well the the portable ones that they're using for for uh cell sites to bring into events have gotten way smaller i just saw one recently it's like wow that you showed that really big box they're now about half that size and they set up pretty quickly. Uh, so, I mean, Verizon and all has really come up with some pretty cool temporary cell sites. So. Yeah, I, I like to get one in my neighborhood because uh, I'm tired of, like, I walk outside, I lose the Wi-Fi, yeah. and I'm sitting in my car and I can't send a text. Uh, yeah, they, because... use, they, only, they only use these for, like, special events and yeah, I know. Fairs yeah, no, and like I mean, I was yeah. at, I was recently at um, Allianz for a soccer match, the the MLS stadium, 20,000 people. Um, Verizon's falling apart. Um, despite 5G and everything, it's uh, it's not going well. Uh, Matt, you had a suggestion. Um, it's something we've never really talked about here, but uh, we could talk about it for a couple minutes. Yeah, so North Dakota has a state infrastructure bank. And the small phone companies were able to borrow from that infrastructure bank to go out and build, in, build their fiber infrastructure. What's the state with the highest penetration of fiber to the home? It's North Dakota. Mm -hmm. And we could solve all these broadband issues by just having an infrastructure bank that had relaxed requirements on it below a certain amount. Because right now the programs are so complicated that it just, you just lose a huge percentage of people that would, of companies that would try and participate in these programs because of all the restrictions. But if there was a way to borrow I would have been building fiber a long time ago if I could borrow money to do it at a decent rate. But that's been pretty much the domain of private equity and, you know, bigger companies, you know, and multimillionaire operations like Travis, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know. now, now we can't let that pass without pointing out that the reason they have so much fiber is the original ACAM. I mean, it didn't, it was, they didn't build so, it out. That's what I want to ask about. I mean, so obviously like, I'm curious, Matt, you know, as someone who understands the difference intimately, if you were in North Dakota, would you have the same access or are they more privileged because they're ILEX? Oh, no, that's ILEX, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's ILEX, but I, I think if, if the program was opened up, now, 
here's the thing I kind of wonder. It's like, what's what should constitute an ILEC nowadays? Because that's like a very mid-90s type of term nowadays. And it's like, if you look at the difference between what I'm doing, for example, in a town where I've got fiber built, and I have more customers than the ILEC, the only difference between us is they have a statutory obligation that they have to they have to serve every customer in the town or every customer within that certain border. That's literally the only difference anymore. And that's and that just is, because North Dakota hasn't gotten rid of that yet, and many of the states have. That's yeah. the difference. Plus, they still have a nice border drawn around them that's legal. They're like, this is your territory, or whatever it's worth. But I think the question I have is, is what I'm really curious about, and I think there's a lot of different paths, is, is so, Matt, you think an infrastructure bank would help you as a small, independent business? Oh, yeah. It would help everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it it would be a sort of thing where, you know, it it could be used as kind of a supplement. It's like, okay, here's some locations. Maybe you get like X bonus or whatever for hitting like these unserved locations. Mm -hmm. But if I could borrow money to build infrastructure and I can pay back, you know, the money's renewable. I, I don't necessarily need, I don't need free money. In fact, free money tends to corrupt business models. That's how you end up with government funded business models that fall apart. Then somebody comes in and buys it, you know, later on, and then you end up with a monopoly. If you have an infrastructure bank, it's a little bit more open. You could have a situation where maybe you have two competitors that decide they, they want to, they want to try and, and compete if they both got access to it. But right now the hurdle, like to do like reconnect or a lot of these different projects, new, if you aren't doing 10 million, it's not worth doing. So now, is that infrastructure bank just for broadband or is it for all sorts of other infrastructure? Well, I think potentially you could do something for all sorts of different things, but the North Dakota example is one that uh, I've I've known about that for a long time. I've been trying to promote, you know, state of Nebraska to do that. I was at a conference and the governor's like, what's ideas for this? And I said, infrastructure bank. He's like, well, I don't think the bankers here would like it. Banker was sitting two seats down from me. He's like, no, we love that because that, that would help, that would help yeah. our businesses grow and, if the government did it, the government could kind of use that as security. You could have like, you know, qualified, if somebody can't make the deal work, there'd probably be all kinds of other operators that'd be happy to come in and, and clean it up. So, so two things. I, I agree with One you. is, I gr- go, ahead, Kim. go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it's a good idea because I think it brings competition. I think that although I work for a municipal agency, I think you would see less munis get in this space because a lot of munis get in this space but for the cost of money sometimes and yep. what it, how cheap it is. I think you would bring competition. I actually think it's a really great idea for diversifying competition in this space. I want to put that to Doug in a second. Um, and I want to I put a little spin on it. But first of all, I wanted to know, North Dakota has several of these things that are terrific and transcend party lines. North Dakota requires, this is something that my organization, the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, has done a lot of research in. North Dakota requires pharmacies to be owned by a pharmacist uh, person, uh, not a business. And so North Dakota's pharmacies haven't been um, uh, run out of business by the big companies, including Walmart. And so they actually have more pharmacies per people. Their costs are lower. Uh, their pharmacies do a much better service all throughout North Dakota on all the ways that we can we can test it, basically. Um, North Dakota's state bank, uh, I think, so I don't know if the infrastructure bank is separate from the state bank, but they have a state bank that has been terrific for local banks to mm-hmm. keep community banking alive. 
Um, they have uh, a number of things that came about from uh, the progressive era with an interesting group of people that uh, were just fed up with uh, corruption and the monopolies. So uh, it is a very interesting state. Another question I have is whether munis would take advantage of this. Uh, I think Kim makes a good case about why the market might perform better and there might be less reason for munis to get involved. But Doug, you've worked with a bunch of cities. I kind of wonder if it was easier for cities to present a reasonable business case to lenders and get access to capital, if we'd actually see more munis doing it because of the difficulties of municipal finance getting in the way of some of these projects. It all depends on the bond cycle. Sometimes bonds are so cheap that that's just hard to beat. But other times it's way more sensible to go to an infrastructure bank. It all has to do with interest rates, as Travis would say. So, yeah. Um, okay. but certainly, there's certainly municipalities, smaller municipalities don't float bonds easily. These little towns of a thousand people, they don't have bonding capabilities, so they right. would love something like this. So, yeah. Any reactions, Travis? Yeah, so we, we've talked about kind of a model similar to this, Chris, where I always thought the um, if there was a, we'll call it a an infrastructure bank here, that would be your first 10 million, but it could be subordinated to a senior lender, so you could lever it three and a half, four times. Pretty soon, a small ISP would have access to upwards of $50 million of capital to deploy. And good, proficient operators could turn that into a real business versus versus what I used to call tin cupping, you know, going around with my, you know, trying to rate, get 250 grand at a time. So, you know, we, wanna... we, we talked about that with those bead dollars. Just, you know, get let the small guys borrow 10 million, subordinate it to a senior lender. You'll see all kinds of good things happening out there. I just want to, I want to put a marker in here. And, and what if Rye ever reviews this, I want Rye to take that clip of Travis talking and combine it with one of the other many times in which he's just like, I'm just a country lawyer, but <laughs> I didn't do any college and then talking about like, I got to do this. And I got to lever days, it up. And Chris, yeah, I went to nine days. <laughs> no, but, but, but you know, your, your local banks would be, elated if there was a low interest loan from a, a, a infrastructure bank that looked like equity we would have small isps pop up all over the country because well i think that's bank, why we're not going to be an infrastructure bank right yeah. the banks would add on to that borrowing case. sure yeah because 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 the, the federal debt would be in second place and i also i added one further than that that if you operated the isp for 10 years your google star rating was over four that, that the $10 million would be forgiven. Well, I don't think that's fair because Google can be, um, those ratings can well, be- Well, you know, whatever, whatever rating. But, yeah. Um, yeah. but no, I, I, I agree that this weeds out this- What hailstorm that Travis has to pay all his money back. Well, exactly. You know, yeah. I, I, I thought there could be, a, you know, however it got structured that that first 10 million of equity that right. was borrowed from the Fed would have an opportunity to be, instead of being a loan, could ultimately be turned into a grant. Because Just so you know, forgive, there forgivable there loan are, is what it's called. There um, are some nonprofits looking at setting up private funds for exactly this purpose. So there are yep. people thinking about this issue. But, Kim? but I agree with Matt, though. Sorry, Kim, not to interrupt. Is I feel the interrupt. operator has to have some skin in the game too, because free Absolutely. money, free money comes with uh, <laughs> big problems. Yeah. Well, that's what I was about to say. It it comes with better business plans. It comes with better like. In decreasing your cost and your spend and how you're executing all this stuff. If you have skin in the game, this changes the game. Yeah. And I think that is what we need. And that's what we learned in this call here. I mean, when you saw what Matt was doing, the reason he was doing it is the way you should do it. You know, if it was a big company out there, they'd spend millions of shareholder dollars or millions of government dollars 
to build nonsense to serve five people. I like Matt's approach. I mean, what Travis, does that power, what, what does that wait, power wait, run you? Wait, Travis. $7,509,000. There's a $9 billion FCC program coming out to build more cell sites. $9 oh, billion. How many billions? $9 billion. I think Matt, you should uh, you should get those uh, those towers spinning. Uh, yeah. Start making more of them. <laughs> yeah, no, interesting. Bunch, I'd be all over the the broadband bank. So, yeah, I've got. We, there's, I think they have twelve, ten or twelve sitting in their yard when they're done building uh, semi trailers. They just kind of build those and have them waiting for us. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love the interest. I'm, thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about the infrastructure bank idea, because that's one of those things that has driven me up the wall. It's like, when you look at how complicated these programs are, it's like, this is so simple. We waste so much time on lawyers and policy and lobbying and all this stuff going back and forth, back and forth, when it would be way better to just come up with a deal like this with some kind of a fairly simple way to Somebody doesn't pay it, it gets foreclosed, and another qualified operator gets qualified operators get an opportunity to bid on it to take it over, you know, that sort of thing. There's a, oh, if I wasn't running the show, I could look into it. I'm trying to remember what it is right now, though. Um, there is a book um, that I, I think this is just a good way to end the show. Um, Barry Lynn, uh, there's another Barry Lynn, um, but the Barry Lynn who wrote Cornered um, also wrote. Um, uh, a book about how the United States was founded and um, digging it out. It was um, Liberty from All Masters. And I highly recommend it. And it was, so, I mean, what Matt's talking about right now, to me, I literally feel like it's pie in the sky. Like the idea that we would take policy and use government power to privilege small companies and create competitive markets and things like that, uh, unfortunately to me seems... Um, Hard to believe, no matter how how much Travis thinks that I am a naive little waif. Um, <laughs> I feel like uh, it is hard to believe. But this book uh, it covers a bunch of stuff I never learned in history uh, from the United States about how we structured uh, massive programs in the early years of the Republic specifically to make sure that small groups of people couldn't own all the land and all of the businesses and to decentralize power in interesting ways. Um, and so highly recommend it. Um, it is Liberty from All Masters. And um, the United States has a proud tradition of doing this sort of thing. It'd be great to get back to it uh, with, with ISPs, among other businesses. Um, so I feel like we got to cut it off quick, but are there any last comments? Two books in one show. Come on. I know. Yeah. Kim it's put me up to it, I feel like. It's Push the connect to this book club. Yeah. What are we, a library? Yeah. What are we, a book club? No, yeah. <laughs> I just ordered that book, Chris. Thank you. That was the for me. Yeah. Wow. Um, Barry Lynn, his other book, Cornered. I mean, he's been all this stuff about the Monopoly movement. Like, I feel like he's been writing about it for a long time. He's very active in it. He's an ally of my organization, or we're an ally of his. Like, either way you want to look at it. Um, and I think he's brilliant. Uh, so any chance you get to read any of his stuff, I've liked it. Doug, you were nodding along. Were you familiar with that? I am. Yes. I, I you remember that. the Northwest I, Ordinance? I had never heard of it. I read lots and lots of books. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do like Ruben's comment. Reading is hard. Reading is hard. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Bankman-Fried apparently gave up on books. Uh, he's on trial currently, so I'll just rest my case by saying, don't be like Sam. Read a book. 
with that, I keep forgetting. I keep like isolating someone and then I'm just talking and they're on the big screen. And um, anyway, we have missed Rye. Uh, we've missed Rye a lot in this program. This has been a really fun show, though. Uh, Matt, thank you for sticking around and jumping back in uh, to lead us on that discussion um, on the infrastructure bank. I think that led to some really interesting points. I'm going to isolate that and try and put it out. Maybe we can get it on the famous pots and pans blog at some point, uh, the infrastructure bank discussion. I already um, laid it down. Yes, we're going to look into it. Well, that that's that's big of you, Doug. Since I I dug into you so bad with my blog post earlier, so <laughs> you're a good you're a good sport. I probably need to issue a retraction at some point. So my bad. I didn't <laughs> say anything bad about me. Now I have to go work. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in two weeks, I am pretty booked up with the uh, Tribal Broadband Bootcamp, uh, and so I think we're looking at Halloween week for our next show, which I think is in three weeks. Kim, are you saying you're going to be gone for that? Um, no, I'll be back in three weeks. No, I okay. will be here. Don't, don't you worry. I've got okay. you. All right, good. Um, so we'll probably be back in about three weeks. Uh, maybe we'll do something before then, but probably not. And uh, I uh, have really enjoyed this. And thank you all for tuning in. Thanks for being in the chat. And uh, I'm going to hang up real quick because I'm getting a phone call. So until next time, it's been a fun episode of Connect This. Oops. I can't stick today. Hold I on.